With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. What's up, guys? Welcome back to the Glory UGA Podcast. I'm Tyler, and I'm officially back home here in the Classic City, and also back today with me on the other end of the line is my co-host Curtis, and it kind of snuck up on us here, guys. I, you know, was out of out of the country for a week or so and wasn't really thinking about it, but it is the last week of the month, so it is time for the June listener mailbag. And uh, I don't know. I think I think the show really fell at a good time. This mailbag show because there were multiple news items in the world of Georgia athletics and really specifically Georgia football that kind of popped up while I was out of the country over the past week or so. So kind of perfect timing for you guys. Get your questions in, and as is always the case, you answered our call for questions with some very interesting and very insightful questions. So we'll get to all those here momentarily. But first, just want to remind everyone out there that you can follow us on Twitter at Glory underscore UGA. We'd love to hear your thoughts on uh, on really anything out there. So all the questions on today's show, whatever you have on your mind, we'd love to interact with you guys on Twitter. So do not be shy there. I also want to make sure that everyone knows where to find the show. You can find us on dollarsportsradio.com. That'd be the first place to look, part of the larger V-Sport-O internet radio network. You can find a lot of different content there, a lot of Georgia-specific content on dollarsportsradio.com. They also have some other team sites some national stuff as well that you can find there. Uh, and you can download also download the Dog Sports Radio app straight to your smartphone. But if you prefer the more traditional routes like iTunes, SoundCloud, you can find us there. You can also find us on the Stitcher and TuneIn apps. And if you get a chance, it would be great if you could give us a, a quick little rating and review. Just let us know what you think of the show as we continue to try to, to grow the show here as we approach the 2018 season. But all right, with all that junk out of the way, Kurt, let's go ahead, man. we got some great questions like we always do. And I don't want to waste any more time. So we're going to start with one, with one that, you know, earlier in the summer, I was thinking about doing like a whole show on this. We were considering it. But, uh, you know, we got, we, got, we got the question, so we figured we'd go ahead and just answer it here in the mailbag and uh, just kind of start the show off because I think it's a, a good question that we can really dig pretty deep into here. And this is from Sam, so I appreciate the question, Sam. Sam asks, who do you feel is Georgia's biggest threat in the SEC East this season. Kurt, you and I have kind of tiptoed around this a little bit doing some of the, the preview shows, the Scout the Enemies, but we haven't really specifically addressed this question directly. So how would you answer that question? Um, honestly, I think I have to go with South Carolina. It's, you know, it's not that I think South Carolina, to me, it's mainly between South Carolina and Florida. It's not that I think South Carolina is the most, the, the most athletic or the better team of the two. I think it's the fact of, first off, uh, when we play them, and second off, I think across the board, they're a little bit more well-rounded. And, um, schedule and too, I, man. That schedule is easy. Yeah, the schedule is easy. They have and seven – in my in my book, they got seven guaranteed wins. Guaranteed wins. And they got us at home. Honestly, this isn't any of those players' first year in that system. I mean, you have a first-year OC in McClendon. But other than that, I mean, they've been in the system where, you know, you're having to go down to Florida. You're having to go through a completely cultural change. And, you know, we've seen what – I mean, what happened to us, you know, how difficult it can be as you're trying to get used to the players you have. And I think one thing going forward, too, is, you know, Florida, we had the bye week before. South Carolina is week two. We're, you know, we think we know what we're going to see, but we don't truly know. They got a new coordinator. Um, yeah, exactly. There's just a lot of unknowns when we play South Carolina. And I think that – Really, the biggest competition to us is them because I think by the t- especially by the time we get to Florida, our defense will be settled and things like that. 
I think all that's fair, and I would largely echo most of what you said there. I think I would I would throw an extra team into the mix there that you didn't mention. Because for me, if I'm looking at the East, I think you can go ahead and throw out Vandy, Kentucky, and Tennessee. Right? Is that fair? Like they're not; those teams are not ready to contend right now. Yes, I'm, I know it was weird throwing Tennessee in, the, in, the, in there with the likes of Vandy, Kentucky, but that's kind of where they are right now. So that leaves South Carolina, as you mentioned. You mentioned Florida. I'm agree, I, I agree there that they have to at least be in the conversation. But I would also throw in Missouri. Um, I, and like, I'm not saying Missouri is going to be that team necessarily, but I, I think you would throw it in. And, and like I totally, I on the surface, I'm with you on, with South Carolina. It's like I mean that's the popular choice, and I and I really do get the South Carolina hype to a degree, at, at least the hype of them being like our biggest contender. I mean, like you you mentioned a lot of it. They, they've got a returning junior quarterback who, well, has definitely been up and down. Is that fair to say with with Bentley? He's been up and down. Yeah, I think that's fair. Yeah, he's up and down, but he's shown promise, right? Yeah, uh, he's definitely shown some promise. He's had he's had some good points plenty of times throughout his first year and a half or so as a starter. There, they also have a really nice set of skill players on offense. You know, you got Debo Samuel coming back, which you know he was he was a really good player for them early in the year last year before he goes down with the, with the injury for most of the year. You got Brian Edwards who kind of stepped up in his place uh, at the other wide receiver position. You got two good wide receivers there. Hard to double one of those guys so they can make you pay. But you are losing Hayden Hurst. Got a decent solid set of running backs with Rico Dowdell and uh, AJ Turner. But then, and you also have Jake Bentley as well. So nice set of skill players on offense. I'll give them that. And they did have nine wins last year. They beat Michigan in the Outback Bowl. So they got some momentum going into the 2018 season. But really, like outside of the fact that they won nine games last year, the production and the numbers of what they put up last year don't really support the notion that they are, that they're going to be our biggest challenger this year. The numbers actually. This is why I threw Missouri into the mix here. The numbers actually support the idea that Missouri is the team. That would be the second best team. In the, that was the second best team in the SEC East last year, even though they only had seven wins. If you look at the numbers, the numbers support them as the second best team in the East last year. And considering what they're returning this year, they return essentially everyone on offense, and they're only losing four guys on defense. It stands to reason that there should be that big of a drop off from those numbers. And I, I kind of went through these numbers a little bit in the Missouri preview, but for those of you who didn't get a chance to catch that, let me kind of recap this again. Just going through this real fast here. I looked at the, the total yards differential and the scoring differential for each of the teams in the SEC East last year. Okay, and what basically, what, what, it's very simple. The way you do that is you take the total number of yards they gained, total number of yards they surrendered, and you subtract and do the math there, and you get their differential. So the Missouri's total yards differential last year was plus 1,145 yards. That's pretty solid. Scoring differential, plus 74. So they're in the plus in both those categories there. Now, you compare it to us. We were clearly, the clearly not only did we win the SCs, but if you look at the numbers, it's, there was no contest. We were plus 2,105 in, in yards differential and plus 285 in scoring differential. You look at the other contenders. South Carolina was minus 390 yards in their total yards differential. They were only plus 46 in scoring differential. Missouri had better numbers there. Florida, they were minus 147 in their total yards differential, minus 57 in scoring differential. So just look at those numbers there. Like That supports the idea that Missouri was actually a lot better than their record suggested they were last year. But if you dig into it a little bit, you also see that basically yeah, what... Okay, they, I think they put up like the most, almost the most yards we had all season. Until they, they, I think it was like 370 total yards. They also put up almost 600 yards. Yeah, absolutely. But, but if you look at the total yards differential, I mean, they they were plus over 1,000. But the problem yeah, I mean, is... The thing is that they, they beat up on the certain teams. Absolutely. Yeah, and I, the, I, I pulled the numbers here, man, because I I, 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 I I was with you. I looked at those numbers like, that can't be right. How can Missouri have been that much better than the other teams in the East outside of us? Like, how, how is that possible? They only won seven games. And so I went back and I just looked a little more closely at it. And if you look at the – they played five top 50 defenses last year, South Carolina, Purdue, Auburn, us, and then Texas in the bowl game. In those five games, they averaged 15 points a game, 
336 yards a game and only 5.3 yards per play. Against the three worst events on their schedule, Missouri State, Idaho, UConn, the Baby Seals on their schedule, they averaged a whopping 64 points a game, 685 yards a game, and 8.3 yards per play. So you're, you're absolutely right. You have to take those numbers into context, right? And that's yeah. and that's why I can't like even the numbers the stare at, stare at you in the face there because kind of like dude that can't be right that's crazy maybe Missouri should be the the, the team that's going to challenge us this year but I think if you look at it a little more closely put the numbers in context I think you see that maybe it's a little bit of smoke and mirrors there and you're right offensively they're really good defensively well I don't think they were necessarily as bad as some people say they are they they still weren't very good and then finally I, I think Florida is the second most talented team in the SEC East I think we're clearly the most talented team I think Florida is the second would you disagree with me there. Yeah, and that's that's exactly right. I mean, that's where I'm looking at it here. Because I mean, like, like Florida's got really good skill talent. They got Jordan Scarlett coming back. He's a good running back. Malik Davis is also a good back uh, that they had last year as a freshman. It's some good things from uh, Tyree Cleveland, Kadarius Tony at wide receiver. Some good athletes there at that position. They're good at spots on defense. You know, C.J. Henderson and Marco Wilson are a really good cornerback duo. C.C. Jefferson's been kind of underwhelmed. He hasn't really lived up all the way to that hype. He's been a solid player. Uh, Polite and Zanaga off the edges are really good players on defense. So you have some players in spots. But like you mentioned, like the one glaring weakness for Florida remains the quarterback position. And that just so happens to be the most important position on the field. And you know, you got to throw in, they are adapting to a new system with Dan Mullen and historically coaches. Even those that everyone think, thinks the world of, like everyone loves Dan Mullen, which I'm not completely sold on, but everyone loves him. But even guys like that don't have a ton of success in their first year. I mean, think about 2017 or 2016 or, or yeah, no, I'm back 17. This past year, who was the hot shot first year coach in the in the Power Five? Um, Tom, Herman. Tom Herman. Tom Herman, right? In yeah. what was six and six in the regular season? Barely gets to a bowl game. Ends up seven and five, beating a Missouri team. Like, and everyone thought the world Tom Herman. They thought he was going to be a home run hire. Maybe he will be a home run hire, but rarely do you see it happen in year one. So. For those reasons, I guess I kind of have to default back to South Carolina. And I don't want to say South Carolina. I don't like South Carolina. I don't like any of them, but I don't like South Carolina at all. And I, and I hate like picking the team that's like, you know, what everyone's throwing out there. But I think if you look at it in totality, well, I think Florida could potentially contend if they find a quarterback and, and Mullen is a quarterback whisperer like they say he is. Or if Missouri finds a way to get a little bit better defensively, maybe they can sneak in there. But right now, I think you have to kind of default to South Carolina. I hate to go chalk, but... I think it's it's the thing. They had they had the good situation quarterback, which Missouri does as well. But South Carolina's schedule is really easy. I mean, look at South Carolina's schedule. I, I mean, look, they got Coastal Carolina. That's a win. Georgia, well, I, I would say lean towards us, but you know, I'll give us I'll give them I'll give us that win. Although I think it'd be a tough game. Marshall win, Vanderbilt win, Kentucky win, Missouri at home probably win, maybe a toss up. Texas A and M at home, I think they're going to win that game. Maybe you call that a toss up. Tennessee at home, they're going to win that game. At Ole Miss, I think it's a toss up. At Florida, toss up. They beat Chattanooga, they lose to Clemson. I think that's guaranteed seven wins. I I, I think they're clearly based on that schedule, based on the fact they have a returning quarterback, probably the team there that's going to uh, challenge us the most in the SEC East in 2018. All right, let's move on to the next question. This is from Benjamin. Appreciate the question, man. Uh, and this is a question, man. Like people have been up in arms. We've been paying attention to the recruiting front here the past couple of weeks. We actually, got two questions that kind of on the same category here, along the same lines. We're gonna start with Benjamin. He says, "What or ask what defensive tackles will we end up with when it's all said and done for the 2019 class? Our track record isn't the best with defensive tackles. So if you guys have been paying attention, we have a couple of of, of high profile targets that we've missed out on the defensive line here over the past week or two. C.J. Clark, who." You know, we've been targeting pretty heavily here over the past really year or so. 
and uh, he ends up it looked pretty favorable favorable for us for a while there he ends up deciding to stay home close to home NC State uh, and then Derek Hunter is a guy that we've been after for a couple months here and, and if, for a while he said we, we were his out, outright leader he's kind of one of those guys who's pretty impressionable everywhere he goes he has a new leader and kind of out of nowhere Florida State ends up getting his commitment for now we'll see how long that lasts he seems kind of a uh, wishy-washy kind of dude at this point in his life. We'll see how that plays out. But right now, we lose out on those two guys, and there's some people up in arms about our defensive tackle recruiting. So, Kurt, how would you answer that question? Where do we turn next in this 2019 class up front? Well, first off, you know you mentioned Derek Hunter. You never stop talking to that guy. Like we said, no. he's so impressionable. Very impressionable That's guy. That's the guy that you just complete. I mean, he's, he literally, I think just in the last day or two, tweeted out, like, I'm committed to FSU, but I have no leaders. Like, Which is that, insane. That, and he's exactly. tweeted that kind of stuff for the past couple months. Like that's nothing new. Exactly. So I mean, that, with him, you just you never stop talking to him. Do you and, do you want a guy like that though? I mean, that, that plays a I game mean, like as, that. As, as frustrating as it is, um, you know, the, you have to be really it, good it to be able to. Crazy if we get older, but with these kids and the social media and all the attention they get and things like that, it's I becoming mean, more the norm. It is. It, yeah, it's becoming more the norm. That's the most difficult part. Yeah. And if I had to go with someone else that um, we're – I mean, I don't I don't think they'll give up on C, uh, C.J. Clark, but I would say he's pretty solid. Is he say, I would probably look at someone like a Dante Walker. That's an interesting name, yeah. I could see us getting in with him for sure. Uh, and, I mean, I, and here's the thing also. Is, are we talking exclusively like D-tackles? Because, I mean, if we're not, then you have to mention someone like Trevon Walker. Yeah, I, I, I throw – because that's, that's one thing that's bothering me. Because a lot of people are really, really, really upset with, with Trey Scott, our defensive line coach. And I get, I get that we have like right now we're tr- we're having trouble with the interior guys, but Trey Scott also coaches the five tech guys, right? He coaches the defensive ends. You, I think you have to throw those in there as well. He's he's recruiting those guys. He's recruiting Trevon Walker, so you have, yeah. you, you got to throw him in there, right? He's already he already got Bill Norton. And he, I mean, yeah. and like and like that, that's the thing. Like we talk about the D, the you know the five tech position is where we've done decent, especially even last year. He got we're us, fine there. And, and it's the D tackles, and I think I mean. Yeah, he's missed on some people, and people want to get all up on him, but nothing has been as bad as Rocker. No, oh, sure. I mean, and that's the thing. These are as true D tackle positions. Yeah. Rocker was missing at the defensive tackle position, where, like we said, it's not like Scott's with him on everyone. Yeah, and let's hold on to Trace. That's the next question. Let's hold off. We're going to get into that a little bit more here with the next question. Sticking with, like, for me real quick here, the guys, I think, look, I have no idea who we're going to get. I, honestly, like, those are the, like, T.J. Clark is a big-time target for us. And, and so was Hunter, big time target. And I don't think it's said it's all said no with either guy. Necessarily. I think you're right saying that CJ Clark's probably the guy. I mean, he's, he chose to stay close to home, and sounds like that. I don't say it's a done deal, but I think he's more of a done deal than Hunter is at this point. So we're gonna still recruit those guys, no doubt. But if I, if I had to kind of just look at some of the other targets out there, I think Trevon Walker is a guy you have to look at at the five ten, the defensive end position. He's six five, two sixty three at Thomaston, and the dude's the number thirty player in the country. Okay, our number twenty eight player in the country according to two four seven composite, top thirty player. Uh, he's a five-star guy. Another guy that we've offered recently who, uh, just judging by an article I read on 247 Sports when he was talking about his visit to us and, and talking about us offering, is a Juco guy named Savion Williams uh, out, of, out, of, out of Pennsylvania. Dude, 6'4", 315, and I and I, and I never really heard much about this guy. He's, number, he's apparently the number one uh, defensive tackle, Ju, or Juco defensive tackle in the country this year. And I, I pulled up his huddle tape and watched a little bit of it. Uh, dude, he jumped off the screen to me. Like, I, I'm like, I want this guy like right now. I mean, he's got... 
he's got incredible explosiveness. He plays with outstanding leverage. He uses his hands way better than your average guy coming out of high school because he's not coming out of high school. He's a JUCO guy. Now, he might only be here for a year if we got him, but he would sure as heck help out a lot while he's here. I really like him, really high on him, 6'4", 315. And he had some very positive – I think one of the quotes I, I read him saying was some of the lines of, along the lines of us being a, a dream school, a dream offer for him. So I, I think we're definitely in it for him. Another guy that just recently announced his commitment dates, like September 6th, is a guy named Zion Logue, I think that's how you pronounce it, out of Tennessee. 6'5", 290, a big body. Uh, he's pretty raw right now. He, he basically he doesn't use his hands at all. He kind of just kind of chest bumps people, and he's just bigger and stronger than everyone that he plays against, so it kind of works for him. But I think he's got a really good body, a really good frame, and someone that we could kind of mold into a good player down the road. But he's, I mean, he's not an elite prospect coming to high school, but he's someone that I think that we could do some good things with. Another guy that I really, and I think he, we're actually, you know, we're, we're going full force on him right now considering who we've missed out in the past week or so. Another guy that I, this may be somewhat off the radar, but we've definitely been in contact with him and been recruiting him, is a guy named Etinos Rubin uh, from Missouri, 6'3", 275. He's really athletic. He's a guy that's more polished than Zion Logan, in my opinion. And I think if we end up getting him, I think he could grow, definitely grow into an interior defensive tackle type prospect. And I think he's got the athleticism and the skill set, the explosiveness that we could really turn into a really good player. So those are some names to look out for. Savion Williams, Zion Lowe, Tenosa Rubin, Trevon Walker. Can't forget about him. I know he's an interior guy, but still he's on the defensive line. And now that takes us to the next question. You're kind of on the same lines. So we kind of got into this a little bit there, that question. This is from Graham. Why are we having so much trouble recruiting along the defensive line? Does Kirby need to replace Trey Scott after the season? Kirby, you kind of a touch on that briefly there. Let's get into that a little bit more. How do you see that? Um, well, first off, I want to talk about this. Is The fact is people just see us missing on these people. They don't see everything else that's going on. One of the biggest things that's hurting us, especially the last couple of years, is the lack of in-state defense attacks. Yes. Well, the reason we fired Rocker was for two years in a row, he missed on the top player in the state of Georgia. And, uh, and those were elite that, prospects. Yeah, exactly. Elite can't miss prospects. Derrick Brown, Solomon can't miss Now we're trying to make up with kids from other states, and that's so difficult because we haven't been to their home state school, the school that, you know, that they see all the time. And I think that's one of the biggest things that's affecting us is, First off, the quantity of, uh, you know, above average or even close to elite prospects in the state of Georgia and even across the nation. Yeah, that's what I would say. I would explain it across the country, yeah. Yeah, across the country even. I mean, that's the thing. It's, it's not just Georgia's having a problem with it. I mean, you saw Alabama last year at times having to take some uh, four stars and things like that. Guys, they probably never, like, low four stars that they would never even touch before because there just aren't as many out there right now. It's a, it's one of the, like, it's really hard to find a truly uh, elite quarterback. I would say finding a truly elite defensive lineman may be the hardest position to fill. Guys that are that big with that size and have the athleticism to go along with be truly elite, to me, I think that's the hardest position to find coming out of high school. I really do. Those guys just don't grow on trees. They are extraordinarily rare athletes to be that big and be able to move like you want them to be able to move. You don't see them very often. And and you're right. I think we're down across the country this year and really last year too at that position. And we've definitely been down in state the past couple years. Um, I guess I would say like with the Trey Scott thing, and I, and I know there's a lot of frustration right now. I I, I really get it. I'm I'm concerned too. Don't don't get me wrong. I get, you guys, if you listen to the show regularly, you know that I, I am somewhat concerned about our defensive line recruiting. But I'm not ready to give up on Trey Scott just yet. Are you? No, that's the thing. Yeah, it might work. Yeah, but if I I would at least trust Kirby that if he had thought there was something wrong, he would have made a move quicker. 
I, I, I tend to agree with that. And I, I think the, the the big thing with Trey Scott here, I think you're definitely right saying that the talent across the country, the defense line position has been down, or at least the interior defense line position has been down the past couple of years, and in-state as well. You don't have the guys like Derek Brown and Aubrey Solomon in-state the past couple of years. They just haven't been here. So I think that's a factor. But well, the also, other thing with Trey Scott is you have to factor in that he's so young. I mean, he's just not had the chance to coach guys and put them in the league. Like, he can't point to – there's no guy he can point to in the league and say, hey, look what I did for this guy. I can do the same thing for you. I mean, about Glenn Schumann, right? Glenn Schumann hasn't been able to do that until now. Now he can point and say, look, guys, I just put Ro- Roquan Smith in the top 10 of the NFL draft. And that's going to do wonders for Glenn Schumann's career. I mean, he's already, been a, he's already been a great recruiter, but now I think he's going to take off even more so. And until Trey Scott can do that, until, he has an, until he's in the system and coaches guys enough to be able to have, to have a chance to put some guys in the league, I think it's that's one thing that's, that other coaches are going to use against him. Because like I said, he, he, has, he might tell you he can put you in the league, but has he done it? And let's be real. These guys want to go to the league. That's the first thing on their mind. They want to go to the league. And if he can't point and say, look, I put him in the league, I put him in the league, then you know there's going to be some hesitation there. So I think he just needs some time. And also, one other factor I don't think people are considering here, and maybe this is just me. Tell me if you disagree, Kurt. Like, I, I, I think Trent Thompson, going from being the number one player out of high school, the number one overall player out of high school, to going to being undrafted, I think that hurt us in the minds of elite defensive tackle prospects. Do you think it has an effect it, at all? It very, well, it very well could have. And, and, and it's only because he was the most recent guy here that right. he was before. Right. And, look, and that's out of that's out of Trey Scott saying. Trey Scott had him for one year, and Trent had some off the field. I mean, Trent was his, just... I love Trent and appreciate everything he did for us, but Trent was his own dude, you know? I mean, he just, uh, you know, uh, he had some off-the-field things. That's that's all I can say on that. But I mean, he was a large, Trent Thompson was largely out of Trey Scott's hands. But the perception is still there. Whether it was out of Scott's hands or not, the perception is still there, and you better believe it's being hammered home and reinforced by negative recruiting. You know it is. You know that's being brought up. Of course it is. And, look, I'm also not sold on the idea that Trey Scott's been a bum. Like, I'm, you mentioned Bill Norton, right? That's a top 150 player, an out-of-state player that he's landed from Tennessee. Old, literally, he committed the day, like, after the night he got home from a Tennessee visit. Yeah, I mean, this is a top 150 out-of-state player that he landed. That, that's not a scrub. Right now, we leave for Trevon Walker. No, he's not a true interior defensive lineman, but he's a defensive lineman, and he's a five-star prospect, and we leave for him. Now, we haven't landed him yet, but we leave for him. So sure, there's been some recent misses, and we're still struggling to find those interior guys. But I think some of that might change if Tyler Clark can kind of make some more noise this year and maybe find himself if he, if he decides to leave early, find himself in the top three rounds of the NFL draft. I think that's the kind of guy you can, that that you can see Trey Scott pointing to when he's out there in the living rooms recruiting guys saying, "Look, I, look what I did with Tyler Clark. I worked with this guy for two years, and now he's making money in the NFL." I think it's just going to take a little bit of time. and It's not like he's been a complete scrub. He's gotten guys. Now, has it, has it gotten everybody? No. Would I have loved to have gotten C.J. Clark? Absolutely. Absolutely, I would have loved to have gotten I would have loved to have gotten Hunter. Maybe we will. I mean, you know, we can flip these guys. Maybe. We'll see. But I'm not ready to give up on him yet. You know, now, if this trend continues and a year or two down the road, then I think we can talk about this again. But I think it's been a little bit overblown, kind of maybe the recency bias of what's going on right now over the past week well, or so. And the thing is also – He's being compared to people like Sam Pittman. Right, and, and true. That's a, that's a great point. That doesn't do me any favor. And look, and one of the reasons why makes Pittman's, one of the things that makes him so good is he can point and say, look what I've done with guys. I just put Isaiah Wynn into the league, right? A guy who was an actor, like no one thought, like he wasn't even on the radar of being in the first, of being a, uh, an offensive tackle going in the first round of the draft. That's cr- like no one even remotely thought it was a possibility. They, they thought he was a guard in the NFL. 
But look what Sam Pittman did. He can point to that. Right now, Trey Scott can't do that. And maybe Kirby should have hired someone with more experience. But I think Kirby wanted a guy that was young, hungry, up and coming, that he can kind of mold. And I think Trey Scott's going to be a good recruiter for us. Because everything I've heard, and I don't have direct first-hand knowledge, but everything I've heard, and I think you've heard some of the same things, that this guy, he, he gets after on the trail. Like he, He's not lazy. He's not sitting there, you know, just sitting on his laurels, doing nothing like maybe some of our previous teams and line coaches have here in the relatively recent past. He's out there hustling. He's he's hitting the pavement. But, you know, it's just right now, he, he, there's some things working against him that I think in time they'll kind of solve themselves. At least, I hope. We'll see. All right, next one here. Uh, and this is from, uh, I forgot to write the name down. Who is this from? Is this from Ellis? No, this is not from Ellis. Maybe it's from Alvin. Uh, sorry, whoever this question is from, I think it's from, possibly from Alvin here. Forgot to, to write the name down. I apologize in advance for that. But, uh, what is one thing to be excited about and one thing to worry about on our offense, defense, and special teams? So, Kurt, take it away for us. One thing to worry, let's, let's start with offense. What's one thing to be excited about and one thing to be worried about on offense this year? offensive line okay and if i'm nervous about anything i'd probably say the lack of experience in the running backs when it came to things like pass blocking okay all right you went very specific on me here i like it i like but i mean both those things are fair and actually i just looked it up this is this question is from g i appreciate g uh i had that wrong there so it's from g so good question uh for me i'm gonna say excited i'm gonna say our passing game I'm I'm excited about our pass. I mean, think about it. This you've got a a, a a sophomore quarterback who's got basically a full year to start under his belt, and I think at least for me, he performed very admirably in his first year. It's all the way not by himself, of course, but certainly took us to the national championship game. Got us there within an inch or two from winning that game. Uh, he's back, and you've got uh, a group of wide receivers. They got a lot of playing time last year. You got Miko Harmon's back in year two as a wide receiver. You got Terry Godwin back in his senior year. Riley really really came on late in the season, especially in that national title game. You got some young guys to throw in there as well. JJ Hallman might have a might have his name heard a little bit this year as well. You got Tyler Simmons, a guy that I think can potentially make some noise for us. Akil Crumpton, you got the tight ends as well. Like I, I really think our passing game could be stellar this year. And I, and I don't know if we're ever going to go all the way to be a, a true pass. We're never. We're not going to be a pass first team. But I'm excited about what we're going to be able to do throwing the football this year. Worried? Um, I'm going to say. That's a tough one for me because honestly, offensively, I feel really good. There's not much that I'm really truly worried about. I will, I'll go with this. I'll say, will our backfield be as dynamic as it was last year? Can DeAndre Swift carry the load? Uh, will because think about it, DeAndre, Swift, DeAndre Swift was our third option last year. Will whoever our third option is this year be as good as DeAndre Swift was as a third option last year? I don't know. Uh, Elijah Holyfield, can he do it against? Can he do it in crunch time? Can he do it when it really counts? We saw we saw him do it in in garbage time last year. And he looked great, and I've been really high on Holyfield for a while now. And I believe in the guy, but we don't know. Like we just don't we don't know for sure. Uh, I'm really high on on Zeus, but in I mean his tape, his high school tape, Zamir White's high school tape, some of the best running back tape I've seen in a while. But he's come off an injury. How soon will he be ready? Will he be the same guy right away? Will I mean will he be the same guy at all this year? We don't know. Just, there's a lot. Of, there's some, there's some serious. I mean, I, I guess I would say legitimate questions there. I still feel confident that, that our backfield is going to be good, but I think it's legitimate to at least have some mild concern there. Is that fair? Oh yeah, fair. Yeah, with some of those guys. All right, let's flip over the defense side of the ball. What is your one thing to be excited about and one thing to be worried about? Um, excited about. I want to say DeAndre, um, DeAndre Walker. Yeah. And um, nervous about probably the lack of experience in the secondary. Dude, oh my god! You took my the, both things are exactly. What, I mean, pretty much exactly what I have here. 
I, I think just I, – I said the pass rush in general I think is going to be better this year. I think we're going to be more effective with a natural pass rush. Except about last year. I mean, I know we had some high-profile sacks. You know, you think about Devin Bellamy had those two sack fumbles, the one in Notre Dame game and one in the SEC title game against Auburn, which were absolutely massive plays. We don't get to the national championship game without those plays. They were huge plays. But was Devin Bellamy that kind of player down in, down out? He wasn't. I think DeAndre Walker can be. I think Britton Cox can be. I think Adam Anderson can be when we put him in, probably bring him in more like third third down situations, true pass rush situations. A guy like Walter Grant, I think we can he can do something. I, I really think we're going to be able to get after the passer with more of a natural pass rush this year. Think about last year. When we got after the passer, largely it was because we were designing blitzes. Like we were, we were manufacturing pressure. I, and we're going to do plenty of that this year. Don't get me wrong. We will still do that. I just don't think we're going to have to lean on that to get after the quarterback like we did largely last year. I think we'll have a little bit better natural pass rush. And worry, I'm, I'm with you. I think inexperience in secondary, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say this. Inexperience in secondary in the first four weeks. I think we'll be fine later in the season. But the fact that we play two offenses with returning veteran quarterbacks in South Carolina with Jake Bentley and Missouri with Drew Locke in the first four seasons and both of those games on the road with – we're going to have at least two guys starting that have played very little football for us in the secondary. Richard LeCount most likely at safety. And who knows at that other corner position, maybe a guy like Tyreek McGee can land that spot. But it could potentially be a guy like Tyson Campbell, Mark Webb. Who knows what it's going to be. But we're going to have inexperienced in secondary in the first four weeks on the road with veteran quarterbacks and have some talent around them. So that concerns me there. If we can get through those first four weeks, I'll feel a lot better about our defense and I won't be nearly as worried about that inexperienced. I don't think it'll be as inexperienced as we get more into the season. All right, and finally here on special teams, what's one thing you're excited about and one thing you're worried about? Um, I think, of course, you got to be excited about um, Rod, Rodrigo. And if I'm nervous about anything, we saw just how important that punting game could be last year, you know, changing field position stuff. So, I, you know, I really feel like we're going to have to rely on the freshmen, which can be dangerous, but I don't it's, think it's the end yeah. of the world. Like it's going to be Kamara, right? Punting, it's got to yeah, be. more likely. I mean, well, Marshall Morgan's I mean, he's back, but he's coming off another surgery, and I, I, I don't know. I mean, what we saw in G-Day was, was frightening. Now, that, granted, that was G-Day. It was a glorified scrimmage. But I, I think there's a really good chance if Kamara's up to the challenge, he's going mean, to get every chance in the book to, to win that job. There's no doubt. And that's nervous. You know, you have a freshman out there punting. I mean, it's, that, that can be nerve-wracking. I mean, I, I really think people just discount Cam Nisek last year. That dude was a beast for us. Yeah, I mean, he helped us so many times just changing field position. Flipping the field, getting guy, getting teams inside the 10-yard line. I mean, he, he did it all, man, in multiple games. He's very, very, very good for us. Big-time find by Kirby there. And I, I, I'm not going to go into this because I, I, I have, again, the exact same thing as you. Rod, I'm very excited about Rod building off a good 2017 season. You know, this is a guy like Rodrigo that, I mean, dude, like – you and I were pretty hard on, like, especially when his dad was writing all that stuff in the media. Like, we were pretty hard on, like, dude, you haven't earned a scholarship. You have to be able to kick the ball in the end zone more than twenty five percent of the time. And he did that last year. Like, he he was consistently kicking the ball out of the end zone, getting touchbacks. Was really good as a place. I mean, he did yeah, a great I feel like job. He responded really well last year. Yeah, I mean, I, I as hard as we were on him at times, and really maybe more so because of his dad. Like, I have to give the guy credit. I think he worked his tail off, and he was really, really good for us last year. And he was dramatically improved from two thousand sixteen. And I expected to kind of build off that in two thousand seventeen. So, yeah, I'm with you on what I'm excited about and also what I'm worried about there. All right, next question. This is another one that it kind of popped up while I was out of the country. Some recent news here. This is from Ellis. Appreciate the question, my man. He says, uh, or he asks, what are your thoughts on the Demetrius Robertson transfer? Kerr, it's a no-brainer, right? We should go after this guy. Yeah, it's a no-brainer. You go after him just because he, he – I mean, we have really good players in there right now, but the one thing we're truly missing is a deep ball trap. And I think that's well, Miko, Well, Miko's got that. 
I mean, Nicole's got it, but I, Nicole's better in the. I mean, where he'll beat him off the twenty, you know, the twenty thirty yard range. Where Demetrius is the one that will get you the fifty yard separation. True. Demetrius is a beast. I mean, there's no doubt. I mean, I mean, it's just a thing. It's the fact of you put more pressure on your team. Even if he has to sit out a year, okay, um, then you're not relying on you could possibly re- – I mean, say Nicole has a great year. He goes pro. Terry graduates out. Riley um, goes pro. You, yeah, exactly. So you, we'd be relying more likely if, – if, say, if we get Robertson, he has to sit out a year. So that first year he'd be eligible to play. We could very well be relying on yeah. two freshmen and Blaylock yeah. and um, – hey, Hazelwood. Yeah, Hazelwood. So allowing him to be there just—it just—it just gives us so many more options. It's dude, it's huge. Honestly, like this could be a blessing. This guys, look, I'm not saying like I don't know. I, I we don't know. We'll see how it plays out. I mean, it, it, hopefully they all have good enough seasons to go pro. But we know Terry's gone for sure. He's a senior. He's gone after this year. Miko, if Miko has the kind of year that a lot of us think he can have this year, I could see a scenario where he goes pro. Couldn't you? Yeah, especially since he, he has some big games with returns and stuff. I can definitely see it. There's no doubt. I can see it. I'm not saying it's going to happen. I can see it, though. I can see a situation where Riley really potentially goes pro. Uh, again, not saying it's going to happen, but if they, if we have the kind of year that we think we're going to have, if we throw the ball as, as well as I think we're going to throw the ball this year and open up a little bit more offensively, those guys that all I – mean, I think we all – again, no Terry's gone, but I think Ridley and Miko could potentially do enough – to get some interest from NFL teams and get and get some feedback to where they feel like it's a better choice for them to go pro. I can see that happening. It, that's a realistic possibility. I'm not saying it's for sure going to happen, but it's possible. If that does happen, you're right. Like, who do we turn to in 2019? We got nobody with any experience or with much experience. Maybe JJ Haldman plays a little bit this year. You got a guy like Matt Landers. You got Tyler Simmons come back. He'll probably factor in the equation a little bit. Trey Blunt, maybe. But like, of those guys, who's done anything? They haven't done anything yet. And so, but if you get a guy like Demetrius Robertson in there, that's a guy you can lean on from day one. And then you got then you can work in Hazelwood. Hopefully, if we can keep him uh, in in the fold here, and a guy like Blaylock. But Robertson would be the go to guy in 2019, and that could be because if I'm looking at 2019, I think we're going to be loaded. Like, I think we have a chance to potentially make a run this year. I think 2019, I'd be stunned if we're not in the playoff. Like I, I would be, I'm going to be pissed if we're not in the playoff for 2019 because I think we're we're going to be that good. But if you look at the receiver position, if some of those guys go pro after this year, it's a very realistic possibility that we could be very inexperienced in that position with a junior quarterback and Jake Fromm and not many guys to throw to. So getting a guy like Robertson that gives you some cushion and gives you a massive threat in that year to really kind of help tide us over in 2019, I think it could be huge for us potentially. And, and he's probably going to have to sit out a year. Like if you look at it, I mean, right now, basically, what, we don't know all the details. But what it seems like, you know, his brother moved out to California with him. It seems like their mom back home in Savannah is going through some health, some health issues. So he's probably going to try to appeal on that on those grounds. But if you pay attention over the past couple of years, the NCAA changed the rule. It used to, like, if, it, if you were transferring to be closer to a, a loved one who was sick or something like that, then they would let you play right away. You could get that waiver. But what they started doing recently is that instead of letting you play right away, they should add another year on to your eligibility, which would do us no good with Robertson. He's not going to stay for five years. That's just not going to happen. So I, based on that, I think it's very likely he's going to have to sit out this year. We don't know. Crazy things happen. Maybe they got some other something else up their sleeves with the appeal. But it's very likely that he's going to have to sit out this year. We'll see. Now, it, it, there's a chance that if Cal, if he has Cal's blessing – and they still like listen to his appeal. Maybe, maybe there's some extenuating circumstances that will allow him to play this year, but I wouldn't count on that at this point. I would say 2019 is what I would count on if we do get him. Do you feel like we get we have a good shot at getting him? No, oh, I do. Yes, I think we're probably the odds-on favorite here because I mean it's perfect. It's like, like we, you know, it wasn't great that we have a, a spot open up because you have uh, Nadab Joseph who didn't qualify has to go JUCO. So without that happening, we wouldn't have a spot for Robertson. 
We wouldn't. So, we, we would not have it without that happening. So it's kind of fortuitous. Like, it just sucks you lose Nadab Joseph, at least for now, but it opens up a spot for Robertson. It's just kind of that fortuitous circumstance there. So I think it's in Alabama right now, I, feel like, I don't think they have room. I don't, I, I'm not an expert on their roster, but from what I understand, they don't really have room to take him right now, whereas we do. And we, we finished second for his services the first time around. And let's also give credit to Kirby Smart here. Remember how classy he handled that situation the first time around when, when he committed to Cal? It didn't burn bridge. Did not burn a bridge. Tweet out some very classy stuff. Congratulations to uh, to Demetrius. And that is how you handle your business. Because right now, you can very much pay dividends for us here in the next couple of years. So I think no brand you go after him. I think we're probably the odds on favor here. And I would be surprised here the next with the next couple of weeks if – we don't hear some news on that front. Uh, next question here from Zach. Appreciate the question, man. He asks, uh, what are your thoughts on our two newest commits? So while I was out of the country, we had two guys pull the trigger. We had Actually, the, the day I left, John Reese Plumley from Mississippi, a four-star quarterback, number 267 nationally, according to the 247 composite, 6'1", 185, runs a 4'6", 40, according to 247 sports. Let's start with him, Kurt. How do you, uh, how do you assess his potential down the road for us? Um, I'm honestly, I'm, I'm, I'm happy with that. I think more than anything, it just allows us to create some extra depth that we don't have. Well, we had to get somebody. <laughs> you know, I mean, we had to. And if you've pulled up the tape like me and w- watched this guy, and I'd heard his name mentioned here and there, but I never really paid much attention to him. Of course, after he commits, I pull up his tape immediately and start watching it. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm actually, this is the kind of guy I think that we need to be going after to kind of have some d- to kind of add some depth for this class. And, and if this is a guy, if he's really kind of a depth piece right now, this is a really good player to get. I, mean, he's, I, I think exactly what Kirby's been looking for, if you've been kind of paying attention to some of his comments, he's an athletic quarterback who can stress defenses with his legs. He has the ability to create and make plays outside the pocket, which, of course, stresses defenses. I think one thing he does, like one thing that really stood out to me was that he throws exceptionally well on the run. I, I think he honestly might throw better on the run than he does sitting in the pocket, which, you don't, which is kind of weird. It's kind of backwards. But I, I think based on what I saw... I think that might be true. He doesn't have a rocket arm. He doesn't have that kind of that kind of arm at all. But he has a good enough arm, and he throws the ball with great touch. He's also a really tough guy out there. I think the kind of guy that that your team would rally around out there. So I, I really like what we've gotten him. I think he's a guy that's going to add some really good depth for us. And I think he's a guy that would be okay with redshirting, which is probably what we're going to need him to do early on and kind of develop. So I, I, I'm happy with this guy. I, I think it's a really good pickup for us. Uh, and the next guy, offensive lineman. Sam Pittman strikes again. Xavier Truss from Rhode Island, a big, massive dude, 6'7", 350, number 102 player nationally, according to the 247 composite, just basically fringe top 100 player, Kurt. How do you see his game? Um, you know, I think he's a huge pickup, but, I mean, to me, he's like a, a little bit lesser version of Isaiah Wilson, a very big body, something that we can work with that's going to need a red shirt, but isn't the worst thing because he's not one that's going to leave in three years. Yeah, I think a red shirt's in, in, in order for this guy. I think he needs to rearrange some of the weight in his body. He's a big dude, and, you know, 350 at 6'7 is not that bad, but I think looking at him, he needs to rearrange some of that weight a little bit, which is fine. Most guys do come out of high school. Uh, now, I didn't see this in person, so I can't really speak from firsthand knowledge, but apparently hearing from some of the recruiting writers who were there, he had a less than stellar showing at one of the camps in the spring, but he has a very high upside. If you look, if you watch some of his tape, uh, which is all I have to go on right now, so I mean, immediately that's, I like to be able to see him in person, but it's all I have to go on. But if you look at that, I think he's got good, solid footwork. Uh, he definitely has the frame that you can really work with. And, and Sam Pittman likes those bigger guys. And I mean, look at what the, some of the offensive lines he had at Arkansas. That, that's what he wants. Look what he's trying to build here. You can see, you can see the trend. With guys like Isaiah Wilson, Cade Mays, Xavier Truss, uh, Jamari Salyer. I mean, you see what, what he's trying to do here. 
so uh, even though he might have had a less than stellar showing at one of those camps, I think he has a very high upside. And look, man, if Sam Pittman wants him, at this point, are we not 100% on board with that? Yeah, Sam Pittman's not going to waste a scholarship. Yeah, also. look, man, I, if, if he's got Pittman's stamp of approval, then, dude, I'm on board. I, that's just, at this point, that's where I am with that. Uh, all right, next question here. This is an interesting one. I had to think about this one for a bit. Uh, very interesting question. So I appreciate the question. This is from Jamie. Uh, with the new redshirt rule, do we strategically play fields in only four games to create quarterback separation? If so, which four games would you choose to play him in? Take it away. Um, I think it's as simple as no, because I think, uh, I mean, we, we, at George, we have a history of wasting people like No Sean Marino. Yeah. Oh, you sit them a year, and boom, they're still gone in two years. So you waste yeah. a whole year out of them. And that's, and that's what happened with fields. I mean, more likely – He's never going to be a guy that's going to stay past three years. So redshirting him one year does nothing but hurt us. I'm with you, man. It, it, it almost wastes him. I, I, I think I agree with you. Here's how I would answer I So, Jamie, it's a great question, man. Completely legitimate question. And, dude, I completely get where you're coming from. And in an, in an ideal world, I am with you 100%. But in answering this question, I think you have to ask yourself, what is the purpose of a redshirt? And to me, it's usually one of two things. It's either A, give a player who is not college-ready a chance to develop, or B, create some class separation at a deep position by extending that player's career by one year, therein allowing a team to have the best of both worlds by enjoying the depth you have right now immediately and also having future stability and security down the road. But the thing with Fields is, and Chris, what you were saying is, I don't think either one of those applies to him. Does Justin Fields need a, a year to develop? He does not, right? And, I, and I'm totally with you. I don't see any way in the world Justin Fields is sticking around to enjoy that fifth year of eligibility that a red shirt would offer him. I just don't see that happening. So if the red shirt is not a developmental necessity and he's unlikely to stay five years, why in the world should we red shirt? Like, really? Like, why? I think you're right. I think- That's my whole thing, too. Yeah, I mean – like I said, in an ideal world, we would. Just like last year in an ideal world, we would have redshirted Fromm to create some preparation with e- or some separation with Eason. But that's – I mean that, that doesn't happen. Yeah, I agree. I just like – look, I mean and this is just me. And I, and I don't know – I don't know everything, man. But like I see a redshirt as A, being a, de- a developmental necessity. That's not Justin Fields. He, he can play right now. He can help us win right now. And, or B, just you know, say we need to create some class separation, but I don't think Fields are going to stay five years, so to me that's null and void. Why would we redshirt him? I will say the new redshirt rules do make this interesting, and, and I totally get where you're coming from, Jamie. I really do. Uh, and for those of you who are not familiar with the new redshirt rules, essentially it's a new rule going into effect this year that, if, that you can play a player in up to four games and still redshirt him. So that's what Jamie's referring to here. So it's an interesting new wrinkle adding, added into the fold here in, in the college football world this year. But I would say this, like, okay, let's say you, you, you're you going to play in four games and still redshirt him. I would say if, if the guy is good enough to play, if you think he's good enough to play and help you win in four games, would it not stand a reason that he's good enough to play in and help you win every game? Yeah, that's fair. So, I mean, that's the way I would look at it, too. Is like, I think definitely – we don't know what the plans of coaches have. I don't know. I'm not going to pretend I know what the coaches have up their sleeves with them. But if I'm looking at the situation, the outside looking in, I think he can definitely help us in short yards and go on situations where you get – a mobile quarterback can give you a plus one scenario in the running game. You get an extra blocker into the fold. They can really help you in those situations. A lot of the teams who are always high up there in, in goal line and t- red zone touchdown percentage, those teams are typically ones that run the ball really well, and a lot of them have mobile quarterbacks. And I think that can really help us in that situation. Now, you can never say never. And again, I certainly do not have all the answers. But I think he can help us win this year. I really do. I think he can help us in, in his own way, in certain packages, help us win this year. 
And if that's the case, so what if he burns his redshirt? He's highly unlikely, in my opinion, to stay five years anyway. Now, all this is kind of fraught with a bunch of what-ifs, but it's just hard for me to imagine that he's going to be in Athens long enough for that redshirt and potential class separation to really matter. So, yeah, I just I wouldn't redshirt him. I wouldn't. And I, I, Maybe I'm crazy. I probably am, but I don't think I would. Uh, all right, next, uh, our next and last question, I should say, is from Alvin. Appreciate it, Alvin. Alvin's one of our loyal listeners. Definitely appreciate the question, my man. Uh, and Alvin asks, what's your starting secondary with Gibbs back on the team and without Gibbs back on the team? So if you guys have not been paying too much attention, D'Angelo Gibbs, is, his status has kind of been up in the air. Is he on the team? Is he not on the team? We saw him working out with J.R. Reed a couple months ago. Uh, he's, then he, we find out he's enrolled in class. So that doesn't mean he's back with the team yet. Then the team goes to Camp Sunshine, and there he is in, in uniform. He's got his jersey on with the rest of the team. Which would definitely, don't, again, we don't know definitively, but it would definitely lead you to believe he's at least on the path to rejoin the team. But we don't know for sure. So, Curtis, if Gibbs is back in the fold, let's take a shot. This is a good question from Alvin. Let's take a shot at this. What would be your starting secondary with Gibbs back in the fold? Well, I'm just going to go ahead and you know say mine honestly doesn't change at all with okay. him in the fold now. And, uh, but my starting secondary, you know, you have uh, J.R. Reed and LeCount in the back, gotcha. back in. Um, you have Baker at the one side. On the other side, you either have Mark Webb or a um, Tyreek McGee. And in the back side, I think you either have a Tyreek McGee um, in the star or even a Tyson Campbell. Okay. And t- Campbell the star? Yeah. Okay. All right. I, I'm with you on most of the, the personnel. I have them mixed around a little bit. I think with Gibbs, I would go – so you don't think Gibbs factors in at all? Well, I think the biggest reason is because he's coming back from such a serious injury that cost him to miss so much time. He's been away from the team for so much time. that Miss all the spring. Not, yeah, it's not like he just steps into something right away. Yeah, miss all the spring. Now, hopefully he's back with the team doing summer workouts. It seems like that's the case right now. I don't imagine we'd let him go to, to Camp Sunshine if he wasn't working out with the team right now. Uh, but if I, I, I'm with you in the safety. With Gibbs, I would say Richard LeCount and J.R. Reed are very likely to be our two safeties. I would say Reed's a shoe-in. LeCount is almost a shoe-in. Uh at corner, I would definitely go, obviously, with DeAndre Baker at one corner. And then I would say – I'm, I'm taking a flyer on this one. I'm just really high on this guy's ability. I would say either Tyson Campbell or Tyreek McGee at the corner opposite DeAndre Baker. I do think Webb factors into this, though. I think Webb, though, is more of a star. I think he's a guy that fits that position more. He's big. Like you could say McGee could play – he's played some of that for us. I think Webb is better at the star. He's bigger. He's more physical and can stand up in the run game a lot better than McGee can. And the guy playing the star has to be able to, to contribute to run support. I think Webb fits there better. I think if Gibbs factors in the equation this year, it would be at star. I think that's where he fits long term. So I, 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 I would say it'd be a Webb Gibbs battle for the star position. And I don't know who, I don't know, pretend I know who'd win that job. I think Gibbs would factor in there and have a, a legit shot to win it because that's where he was working before all the junk happened last year, whatever ended up going down. We don't really have all the details there, but clearly it was something. This shoulder injury, potential suspension. We don't know exactly what was going on, but he was clearly working his way back to being on the team. Curry made that pretty clear. So uh, that's what, that's how I would look at it. Now, without him, I would just simply – it would be the same thing. I just I would say Webb is going to be the star. Now, I don't know that. Like, that's me projecting based on what I think. We'll see what the coaches have in store. I'm sure it's something very different. I just think Webb's better at the star – I think Campbell is tailor-made to be a, a shutdown cornerback with his athleticism, his speed, his length. And Tyreek McGee, like I, I think he's a good player. His his size concerns me somewhat, like with, somewhat like with Malcolm Parrish. Well, he's a little bit bigger than Parrish was. I just don't think he's as physical as Parrish was. I don't think he can hold up as a star long term. I think he'll factor. And Kirby loves him. He seems to love him. So I think he'll factor in that position in that battle there with Campbell opposite Baker at corner. So that's how I'd see it. There's a little bit different here, Kurt. Not 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 too crazy. 
But all right, guys, we uh, that's it for us here today on the Glory UGA podcast. We definitely appreciate all of you sending your questions. Hope we did at least a decent job answering them. We tried, we tried, man, did to the best of our ability. But uh, check back with us later this week. We will continue on with our Sky and the Enemy series, our annual summer series that uh, we always get some good feedback on. So hope you guys are enjoying what we've got for you guys so far on the series. And we'll be back later this week with the latest edition. So check back with us. Thanks for listening. For Curtis, I'm Tyler, and as always. Go Dawgs!